Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome, everybody, to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, here with a very special guest, Nick Chertok. Uh, I didn't actually check your last name. Is that... Yeah, that's pro- that's close enough. Sure talk. Sure talk. Okay. Uh, Nick is a CPA, and you guys are probably wondering why in the world do we have a CPA coming on here, but he's also a great uh, person at getting some great minds together and talking about golf and golf mechanics and whatnot, and so that is why we're getting him on because he's learned from a lot of uh, great people and has some uh, very interesting questions or or whatnot for for us to kind of ponder and think about so welcome nick and thank you so much for coming on the show hey thanks for having me jeremy appreciate it so i always start how did you get into golf yeah i I started i played a little bit in high school wasn't very good at it uh got to college in san diego which is a great golf town just with the weather and all the the courses available and I was a Navy kid so I could play all these great courses for like six bucks Yeah, and just got really into playing a lot. And then uh, one particular day I do remember I started shanking the ball just out of the blue and I was just so befuddled by like, how come I could, I could hit a shank on one shot and then have a couple holes and, and, have no issues. And so I just got really into like studying cause and effect and wanting to know how the golf swing worked and why things happened the way they did. And so just got into reading a ton of books, going to the bookstore, trying to read every book about golf and um, instruction and probably read a couple hundred books during the late nineties. None of them really all that good. Not, not a lot of actual mechanics being discussed in most of the books out there, but yeah, I got, got mainly started playing in college and, and really caught the bug. And, and I was already kind of a nerd when it came to like weight training and anything to do with sports science. So I was looking to try to see what was out there on golf there wasn't really very much yeah yeah okay <laughs> um so so you kind of briefly touched on this you just kind of figuring out what was going on in your own swing was what kind of led you down to the golf mechanics and and stuff like that trying to figure out what was going on yeah initially it was it was very selfish i mean right now i do a lot with forums that bring together uh, golf pros mainly and some golf scientists and some trainers rehab people but initially it was just about me wanting to know for my own benefit how I could play better 
and why different changes to my swing were having different outcome or why, you know, when I hit, when I did a certain thing, why would it produce X result? So initially it was, it was all about just my own game. I took lessons from like a million people in San Diego. I, I think in one year I took lessons from like 30 people, just usually one offs. And mainly I do one and I just, I would ask a lot of questions. I was probably the worst, most annoying student a pro could ever have still am, but they would, uh, they would usually say like, just stop asking so many things, just swing or just, you know, you're overthinking, you're overanalyzing. So that's, that's the common uh, response I would get when I would, I would ask stuff and went through kind of every teacher I could find in San Diego and, then I kind of gave up on the lessons. It was getting a little bit expensive at that point too. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine. And you know, one, one, one off, you know, we talk about having that consistency. I'm sure you're getting lots of different opinions doing, doing all those, all those lessons too. Yeah, definitely. That started me on this path of, of information overload. And I often uh, tell people like, don't, don't do what I did. I, I did this video blog series called Golf Progress. I started in 2010, where I think I was about 35 years old. And I, I wanted to get down to a seven index by the time I was 40. And so this is before I had started any of the forums and before starting this live event, the open forum that I do with uh, Chris Como and, and Mike Michaelides every year at the PGA show. So this is way before that, but the, um, the result of that was getting feedback from hundreds of different professionals. And I would not recommend it to anybody just because it becomes impossible to stay focused on any kind of plan. You just become a program hopper where right. I'm sure you see it on the exercise side where, or, or just the rehab side, people come in and they, there, there's an unlimited number of people, gurus that you can listen to. And so if you get caught up in social media or YouTube and just keep bouncing around, eventually on the fitness side, it's like somebody who has read so much about lifting, but they walk into the gym and they don't know what to do. It's just their head swimming with so many different options and so many things like that they think they shouldn't do, or, yeah. you know, they they get too wound up in, in having perfect technique. So they end up just not working out at all. Right. Right. There's a lot you learn from, uh, from actually experiencing uh, coaching somebody or teaching somebody doing something you learn a lot from doing it yourself too. So but there's, there's a big difference from having a book knowledge and, and then having that ability to apply it to yourself and to others. So. Yeah, um, there's, um, and there's, it, it, I consider myself more of a cautionary tale to people who think if I just knew more, I would play better because I can tell you from my own experience I think I'd be better at golf if I had never even picked up a single book and, and never taken one lesson and, and just been a field player, which is really kind of the opposite of the way that I, that I think. And yeah. that's not how I'm wired, but just the I, the, I see the detrimental effects 
of thinking that you can just figure everything out and it it really makes it hard to actually pursue any anything that's just like doing the drill and working on something and just sticking with it just the focus that you need to do that right and you can see like that dichotomy between uh types of players you know we have a really good example in the on the PGA tour right now with two guys that are going a little bit at it, we'll say of Brooks uh, and uh, Bryson. And one, right, one right. tries to calculate every little thing and the other one's like, just find the ball and hit the dang thing. Right. Yeah. Um, you've got the, you know, the extreme mechanic versus the field player. However, they're all super athletes. So I would right. say like Bryson, yeah, he's very mechanical and he likes to talk about physics, but, He's also a great natural athlete and he probably does play a lot by feel, whether he would say it or not. Uh, and he actually like goes out and, and has a, a routine and a, and a practice plan that he sticks to. He's not like jumping all over the place with different concepts and theories and, and switching from one guru's ideas to another but yeah, that, that is interesting. And it's always been something that you've heard people talk about. Are you a field player? Or are you a, more of a technical player? So when it comes to the coaches that I like to talk to, they probably would consider themselves more on the technical side while recognizing that it is a sport and like being athletic is really ultimately the way that you improve, you don't really think your way to a better swing through concepts. You, you, you still have to like change your body's wiring subconsciously. Yeah. So you mentioned er just a little bit ago about how you wish you wouldn't have picked up any books uh, to start learning. So what would you say is kind of, you would you recommend as a way of learning some of the, the technical side, we'll say, uh, to improve, but not maybe get inundated by too much of that information. Yeah, that's a question I get asked all the time. It's a tough one. I, I think, you know, you have to first ask yourself, like, how badly do I really want to know how things work? Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm someone who is, and you can kind of tell by the career the person's in, if someone's like an engineer or uh, maybe a, an accountant or a doctor, they may be the, the type that, yeah, they, they want to know how things work. And so for that person, I would still say like find a local pro who like ask around and say, you know, who's a pro who is a little more on the technical side. And I would say, try to just stick with what that one person has you working on just because the temptation that you'll face is so great to go on another path. And, you know, when you're on YouTube, they're constantly showing you like what else you can watch. And so if, if you have that tendency to think, well, if I just watch one more guy or watch one more yeah. series of videos. So I, I would say following a teacher, one teacher that matches kind of the way you want to learn. And if you uh, are someone who doesn't really need or want 
to know all the information. You're not interested in biomechanics. You don't like if if you don't like TrackMan, then you're probably not a technical learner. So you should really you know go find yourself a teacher who is going to talk about more. I don't know really how to describe it without being a little bit dismissive just because that's that's not how I like to learn but I guess field teachers are going to talk about more just general concepts without like diving into the details too much so some people just don't they don't want it and it doesn't help them and you know for the most part unless you're like playing for a living you probably don't need to know exactly why everything happens the way it does yeah and 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 even if you do want to you may never actually get all the answers you're looking for anyway right what what i see you know there's somebody who walks into my clinic uh for Mm -hmm. rehab or even for exercise and there's there's a thousand options that you know anybody could choose and any of these exercises is going to work at least one percent of the time you know if not if not more regularly than that even and that's just almost picking at random. Uh, and for so many people, it's a matter of just kind of, like you said, sticking with something and seeing that improvement. And I think if you have, if you have a, and I've had a lot of conversations with most of the people on this podcast, you know, you have to have that goal and then know what you're trying to, what are you trying to get to? And then you got to be able to track that. And then if you're tracking that, you can know whether you're actually making improvements with, with whatever is going on. And, and so that, that's really what's important, right? If that's, if that's the goal, or if you just want to have fun, then you know, that you can definitely find somebody to help you to, to enjoy the game a little bit more by playing a little bit better. Yeah. And you just have to be willing to take the chance on somebody, whether that be a therapist, a trainer, a golf pro, you've got to like give them a chance in order to know whether you're having success or not having success with their plan. And I think so many people are looking for that quick fix and I think in the back of their mind, they know that it doesn't really exist, but they, they still want to be very quick to assess whether something's working or not without actually like doing the, what's being recommended. And so they, they decide too soon that this teacher is not working for me and they haven't even really given it a chance. But you know, at the same time, you're going to have situations where you're with a pro or a trainer or a therapist and you realize I've been doing it. I've been doing exactly what they've told me to do. I stayed focused. I didn't program hop, but I'm not getting the results. And so I think at that point, that's when you try somebody different, but then you have to kind of go through it all over again. And it is, it's a difficult choice to make, but people just have to commit more. And so that, that's probably my biggest lesson after, I don't know, I guess almost 15 years of study and uh, obsessing is finding a person that you trust and just listening to them is probably the best advice I could give. Yeah. So I got a question for you. Did you end up getting to your goal by the age of 40? I did not. No, I, I got... I started as a 14 index. I got down to about a 10, which I thought was made me a pretty good player. Nothing, uh, you know, all the pros in my group would clown me for 
yeah. my ability uh, compared to their students and themselves. But uh, I was at the point I was shooting low 80s. I broke 80 several times during that period. Uh, now I'm probably about a 12. I went out the other day and played and shot like an 85. So I did not hit seven index. Uh, I'd still like to eventually, but it's not like I'm really actively pursuing that as something yeah. I'm really focused on. But just, I, I've got three kids now. When I started, I had one little baby yeah. and I spent a lot more time at their sporting events than working on my own game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping this summer I can start getting the my two kids. They're just now getting old enough to where they might be a uh, hold attention for a couple of holes. So might get them out a couple of times um, with me rather than feeling like I'm leaving them at home when I don't see them as much as I maybe uh, should or like to. But uh, before we move on, I want you to name drop just a few people because I think, you know, you've worked with a, a lot of these different guys um, and, and I think that will apply to, you know, the different philosophies that we're going to talk about here in a minute. Uh, let's see, you know, we're talking about, teachers um you know chris como is a guy that i've known for a long time and and we we hooked up and started doing the the open forum which was really an it came out of the golf teaching pro facebook forum which now has about eight thousand teachers on it but uh back in 2013 the thought was let's do something in real life where we get all these people together and so that first open forum, let me think of some of the people that were there. He had like Brian Manzella and Mike Finney, Lynn Blake, Joe Mayo, James Lights, Chris and I, and Mike, Mike Leedy is a pro out of uh, Long Island. We all hosted this. Uh, ben Shear was there. He's a, he's a famous trainer. Um, not a lot of trainers initially it was mainly a, a golf pro centric type of an event and, and some science people, uh, Sasha McKenzie, Phil Cheatham. Uh, let's think, uh, Mike Duffy, Rob holding from Canada, a bunch of, bunch of Canadian pros, uh, Liam Mucklau in the, the next year at open forum two, we started doing panels so some people uh, like Tyler Farrell, uh, Andrew Rice, Frederick Tuxen, Trackman, Mike Adams was there, Chuck Cook. Uh, we had probably 20 people on panels. Uh, Dr. Rob Neal presented at that second one, along with Sasho and Mike Duffy and Phil Cheatham. But it's really through the the first forum that I started, the golf biomechanist forum, yeah. which was really, I came before the whole golf teacher stuff. That's really where my, my primary interest was originally, which was try to bring together the people that are into teaching the swing, like swing mechanics and the science side, the biomechanists and the fitness and rehab side. So the trainers trying to kind of bring them together for discussions so uh th that's a couple names yeah that was a few there um but yeah a lot of names people probably recognize and so that kind of leads us into you know 
the different philosophies that some of the, some of these guys might have where, uh, you know, focusing on like ball flight and, and movement, we kind of briefly touched on that a little bit. And, you know, so what are, what are, uh, you know, I guess the, the pendulum and where that swings on, on both ways and what's kind of the questions that you you're you're asking in, in regards to these these types of different philosophies and 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 whatnot i mean i guess different teachers will have their different focus and it may depend on like what camp they're in there's a lot of instructors that are very uh just focused on the ball like there's guys who say i can teach by just looking at ball flight which is kind of like a john jacobs uh, way of viewing things where the ball tells me everything and then there's people that are more maybe had a lot of exposure to tpi training and they're more about movement and kinematic sequence and looking at like how uh, how's the person doing with their mobility and stability and like and i do I, I do put a lot of focus on that because I think that you can really only do what your body's capable of doing. Uh, but then there's these other kind of schools of thought that have come out in the last decade, more focused on the, the kinetics side of things. So with, with biomechanics, you've got kinematics, which is motion. And that's been something we've been able to look at for quite a while with 3D motion capture. So a lot of this, you know, the sponsors of my event have been companies like, like K-Motion. And so a lot of pros that use those tools kind of get focused on that. But now you've got people looking at ground reaction forces. So if, if somebody has a swing catalyst or maybe a body track or a smart to move or uh, any of the the tools that let you measure what you're doing in, in terms of forces into the ground, that kind of becomes the focus. Uh, so that that's sort of a new camp that's emerged in the last five to 10 years is, is where there's a lot of focus put on how the golfers interacting with the ground, which I do think is, is something that's very important. I think, when it comes to the kinetics, so I, I really think it's what the player does to the handle of the club that's a lot more meaningful. Uh, the, the best numbers that we can get right now are from the ground reaction forces, but it doesn't mean that there's not a lot of other important forces that are uh, being uh, you know, transmitted during the swing, whether it be from the player to the handle of the club and we're getting a little bit of information on that through some modeling that can be done. Mm -hmm. But really to me, the most important is the forces that are actually happening within the golfer, like between the different parts of the body that let them create power. And a lot of that gets expressed out into the ground, but it doesn't mean that the ground reaction force is like the most critical piece of their kinetics that they're creating, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you, you kind of stated it there that 
know, it's, it's what we see. It's what we can measure at this point, I guess. And we can't really get a good, good feel for a good measurement for some of the other, you know, forces that might be, might be applied. And, you know, I think, uh, I think it's Chris Como that does the uh, jumping off of a platform and swinging a golf club. And you see kind of how it looks different than when, if you're planted on the ground. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a demonstration that he did probably back in about 2012. It was actually right before our first open forum. And it's really showing that the golfer, when, when the ground is present, they're able to generate more force through the use of the ground. I think where it gets misinterpreted now is that people think that all forces in the golf swing are ground reaction forces, which is definitely not the case, or that they'll say, you know, force comes from the ground up. Well, you actually put force down into the ground and you use the ground as a tool as a platform. And if it wasn't there, you would not be able to swing the club as fast, but even Chris jumping off the diving board, he can still swing the club. Right. It's not, you know, the best looking swing and it's certainly not as fast as it could be, but you know, I have a daughter who's 14 and plays volleyball when she jumps up in the air and then she hits a ball. That's not ground reaction forces, you know, and, and, there was a debate going on a few years ago where people would say, Oh yeah, it's all coming from the ground. You know, she's using the ground. It's like she's floating in the air and then she's swinging. So that yeah. the, the majority of the forces in my opinion are really coming from like the axial system of the body, the middle of you and the stability that you need. Uh, you provide some of that yourself. The ground definitely helps. And I think uh, looking at how a golfer uses the ground is a very valuable way of, of looking at what they're doing in their swing, particularly if somebody doesn't know how to like transfer pressure. And uh, by using a tool like a force plate, especially if you can look at their center of mass, you can start looking at moment arms and seeing how pattern can emerge and you know a lot of this came about from uh, dr kwan from texas women's university uh, he presented at open forum four which was kind of our actually open forum three when we first started doing it at a big hotel and he teaches courses all through the years uh, to mainly to golf teachers about kinetics and a lot of it, it's mainly ground reaction force stuff, but um, important, but it's not everything in the kinetics world. Right, right. And so I think that's where, you know, we have to have a, a meshing of some of the, the thoughts and the processes, the, uh, the technology, we'll say, that, that, that's out there now. You, you mentioned KVS, you mentioned force plates, uh, we got track bands, we got numbers from all these different things, and we have to kind of figure out what's, what's the most important stuff and 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 whatnot there so let me ask you a question yeah, I, about- I don't want to i don't want to leave out there's there's also the whole world of of fitness and like the person's ability to move and stabilize and i can't leave out my friend lance gill 
who uh, we did a podcast and we'd like to resume that any day now, but we um, did about 30 episodes a few years back. Uh, and Lance is uh, obviously a trainer who uh, educates with TPI. And I, I am, I'm a big believer that when it comes to improving someone's game, you would first want to look at like, are they being held back because they can't do something that the pro yeah. they're working with is asking them to do. And, you know, that gets into your world. And, and so I, while I, a lot of the discussions on the forum trend towards really theoretical concepts and a lot about kinetics because it's new. I do think just like basic fitness and the ability to, like create forces are it's essentially a test of your physical ability and so like the trainer and the rehab person to me that helps create like the baseline of what someone's capable of doing when they work with that person right right mm -hmm. and you can only you can only get so much out of an engine uh and unless you uh, change that engine out you you're not going to get more out of it and so that's, that's the body, unless you uh, make those changes to, to allow more, you know, kind of, we'll, we'll use Bryson as an example there, just because he's done a, a decent transformation there to, to make a, his golf swing uh, bigger, stronger, whatever you want to call it faster and, and whatnot. So you definitely have to have to address those, the, the body. And so I'm glad you kind of mentioned that too. Uh, what do, what do you think is, yeah. is kind of next for, for some of this, uh, you know, golf mechanics, this biomechanics look and, and whatnot. I think probably next is like looking more at what, what a lot of people call functional matchups where you, you look at somebody's grip and you, or you look at what feels comfortable to them. And then you try to, uh, pair that up with like as an example if somebody has a really strong grip at impact they need to get their torso pretty open whereas someone with with a weak grip they wouldn't be able to match up the torso in the same way as like like a dustin johnson is an extreme right. example of super strong grip and his wrist conditions at the top are going to work provided that he can get open enough at impact. Otherwise he's going to hook the hell out of the ball. And then right. on the other hand, you've got a lot of, a lot of players that are going to have more of a weak grip and they're going to probably be a little more square at impact. And maybe that trail arm extension rate is going to be higher. So I think yeah, what's next is already happening, but there's a lot of looking at, how do I teach someone where I, I take into account their, like the, the wrist and forearm patterns with their grip and the way that they pivot and their release style, if you will? How do I make sure that I'm not trying to tell them things that are in opposition with each other? Right. No, I think teacher, teachers have gone that way in the past and, not like this has never happened before and there's mm -hmm. pros like jim hardy who would have who talk about like a one plane versus a two plane and you don't try to mix and match concepts 
Uh, and, and it almost gets back to my original warning I was given where if somebody's going out and trying to take you know, prescription advice from all these different teachers, they may be like mixing medications metaphorically mm-hmm. that don't like that, that really shouldn't be taken together. Yep. So I think that's one thing that's kind of next. I, I also think there's just a lot more people looking at stability and deceleration patterns and not just looking at acceleration as being what makes the club move faster because, you know, and it started with the whole kinematic sequence where we saw the, the, the uh, proximal to distal peaking and the sequencing of that. It was telling us that your, your body kind of acts like a big whip where you, you get the end to move faster by making the segment right before it suddenly slow down. And yeah. so I, th- I think for a human body to be able to do that, you need to understand like, it's not enough just to get my torso open and move it fast. I have to get it open and then suddenly stop it from turning in that direction. And it's right. that ability to decelerate that I think has probably been like under recognized as a key to where power comes from. Yeah. And, and talk a lot about it seems like go ahead. Oh, uh, so we yeah, we talk a lot about, you know, using the brakes and 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 learning how to, to slow it down. That way you can use this the uh the available speed um for it. Cause like you said, when you you know, let's say you're whipping that towel at, and you know you you flick the wrist out, but then you also pull it back to really get the snap, and and so you have to have that you know quick acceleration, but also a quick deceleration at the same time. Yep, yep. And I I think when it comes to the golf fitness stuff, a lot of people have gotten on the wrong track based on their experience with exercise in general. Was that uh, you want to create linear strength? So you're, um, you know, if, if you look at a golf swing and the force vectors that are involved, it's, it's a constantly arcing direction of force. So it, it doesn't really resemble what you would do in a gym setting normally. Um, even throwing medicine balls, someone would say, oh, that's, that's more like a golf swing. Well, you're, you're still trying to move something linearly, whereas when you swing a club – as you start to downswing, you're aiming the force more toward the ground. And then as you're at impact, you're actually pulling with both hands in toward yourself. Right. And so the, uh, the, a lot of people that get into golf fitness, they're trying to like simulate a golf swing with weights. And generally, you know, when you have something heavy, everything becomes linear because you really, if you want to move a weight, you're really going to move it generally in a straight line to get it, get the momentum to move it. And so there's really nothing that I can think of that you would do in a, in a weight room that looks like a golf swing with resistance. That's actually going to look anything like what you would do with a golf club. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We will uh, skip over to our, our mulligan round. 
So these are just, you know, first, first kind of thought, quick replies. Uh, I'll let you skip one. That's why I call it the mulligan round. So first one, what's the worst club in the bag? My worst club is my three wood. Can't hit it. <laughs> uh, what's the superhero power you would want to have? Be able to focus on one thing and one thing only. Uh, Go to karaoke song. Uh, probably like the Top Gun anthem, which is a, just an instrumental, but I'll just air guitar the whole thing. <laughs> That's a cheater's way, but all right. Um, what's the weirdest golf term? Uh, worst golf term, the verb golfing, like I'm going golfing. If you ever say that in front of me, we can't be friends. <laughs> all right. What's the favorite exercise or drill for your personal game? It's a drill I actually hate, but I know it's a good one. It's where you just, you take your backswing and you pause at the top for like a five count and then actually make your swing. And it's, it's so like mentally taxing for me at least that I have a hard time doing it. But I think it's any kind of drill that like punishes you for your bad habit and doesn't let you get away with it. I like. Yeah. And what's the takeaway you want from our listeners to take from today oh just to like embrace being curious and trying to learn uh just for the sake of knowledge as opposed to thinking i'm doing all this to get better maybe compartmentalize and say i want to know how the golf swing works just because i want to but when i actually want to improve my game probably better just to dumb it down and just listen to somebody and do what they tell you to do and so like when people try to join the forums, they're often will say, you know, I'm joining for tips to improve. And I'll usually message them. I'll say, it's not really what it's about. It's, it's more like intellectual curiosity, debate and discussion, but don't expect too much game improvement directly out of this. Yeah. Uh, that comes from doing really simple and repetitive training with a good, uh, a good pro that you listen to. All right. Um, so before we wrap up today, uh, can let us know, you know, where can we learn a little bit more about, you know, what you do with your golf progress or, or some of the forums that you do or anything that, you know, might be more applicable to the, uh, the, the listener here. That's, you know, amateur golfer, or, uh, you know, whether it's a low or a high handicap. Yeah. If you're somebody, if you're a golf pro, you should, if you're on Facebook, check out the golf teaching professionals, forum it's been around about 10 years now and it's the biggest forum for teachers uh hope you don't mind there is definitely some heated discussion in there at times but um, about eight thousand pros in there we've got a good history if you're someone who's maybe not a pro or if you are and you're just really into the biomechanics side there's another forum called golf biomechanist that was the first one i started so you don't have to be a teacher to join that one. Uh, when you apply, you've got to answer some questions and you gotta, you got to make me believe that you actually care about the topic or I'm not going to let you in. And um, if you just want to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Golf Progress. And eventually I'll be creating basically a membership for people who just want to learn where I pair them up with a coach and a trainer and someone who creates programming for them. But for right now, that's really all I have going. I don't have a business. 
I don't have a, a podcast at the moment, but uh, check me out at, at Golf Progress on Twitter. All right. I'll be excited uh, to when you get that, you know, matching up people with the uh, trainers and pros. That'd be fun. But that's it yeah, for this I'll episode. Let you know. That's it for this episode of the Golf Under Par podcast. Uh, we'll have some of that information that Nick just shared in the show notes. So you can check it out there. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, Nick, for coming on, man. All right, Jeremy, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Take care. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource for Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.